Good morning. This message is for Shane Theriot. My name is Nicole. I'm calling from the management office. Um, the reason for my call is that I work in the resident relations department and I have received a noise complaint about your unit. Um, your neighbor is complaining about um, hearing uh, guitar playing uh, throughout the day and I just wanted to chat with you about that. When you have a moment, please give me a call at 212-253. Telling you, bro. What's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still okay. hitting more Peggy on. This is Shane Terrio, and you are listening to The Rip Raff. There's really no need to even introduce my next guest. He definitely doesn't need an introduction, but I'll do it anyway. Everybody knows that Daryl Hall is one of the greatest singers in rock, R&B, and pop history ever. He's also half of the most successful pop rock duo of all time, Daryl Hall and John Oates. He's written some of the biggest hits of the last, I don't know, 30 years. You hear him everywhere in the grocery store, in the airport, when you're at the mall, they're on constant rotation. But he's also written a lot of the deeper cuts that they, maybe they're not as well-known, but still as fresh and innovative, both lyrically and musically, as when they are first written. But yeah, I know. How many people have the luxury of getting to sit with Daryl at his house, pick his brain for an hour and a half, ask him to tell you stories, his approaches to songwriting, all kinds of stuff that only an insider might be privy to. I don't know, Dan Rather, maybe Howard Stern. Anyway, Daryl was cool enough to sit with me one day after our, our session and chat about all kinds of cool things, and I picked his brain about everything I always wanted to know. I'm walking into Daryl's front room where he keeps his keyboard and recorder and writes music, and we're messing around on this song by Love called Little Red Book, playing around with the chord changes. So I just hit record and we go for it. Enjoy. That's the Brian Wilson sleeping in bed three year version. Then where's it go? <laughs> That's <laughs> some other place. All right. Well, third time's the charm, man. This is the third day, and we finally. Uh, yeah, we made only it tried happen. doing it. Uh, what's today? Wednesday. We said we we're going to do Monday. Then uh, now we got wrapped That's okay. up in I'm, recording. I'm here whenever you're in the mood. So now I'm catching in a, yeah, in a, a well. good time. And uh, all right. So I'm here in uh, New York, upstate New York, Daryl Hall. Sitting in the front, what do you call this room, Daryl? Your writing um, room. Well, sort of an all-purpose music and exercise room. Yeah, one thing that's really interesting about this is your uh, antiquated cassette recorder there that you use to write. Daryl's got this old boombox. It's that called a still- Calphone. Cal yeah, it's just Cal a little boombox, boom like from the 80s or something. Yeah, it probably cost about... Well, actually, believe it or not, I think I got this maybe, I'll say 10 years ago. Oh, and it's hard to believe. It looks it, it looks like it came it from looks 1981. Period correct. Yeah. Yeah. But you you, you use that, and I mean, we'll get. I want to get into <clears> songwriting <throat> stuff. But what's cool is like, you don't need a lot of tools and stuff. I mean, I like the way you keep it really simple to uh, to well, put ideas down. You, you know, know, because if you're a songwriter, I mean, like a traditional songwriter, you don't need a lot of things 
to write the song. I mean, it, 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 be more minimal helps it. I don't write. I don't get like a, 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 a technological construct or anything like that. Right. You know, it's just about chords and rhythm and whether it's a guitar or a keyboard or whatever. And, that, and I mean, that's just my style. So yeah. I don't need anything else. Whatever works. It's chair's definitely worked. Huh? That chair's going to fall apart. I'm just looking down there. <laughs> You're going to oh, fall yeah. in your ass. <laughs> whenever Tim comes back, I'll, uh, All right. I'll whatever. <laughs> But anyway, people that listen to my show... They know I work with you and, and John. And it's been like, man, we've been working together nonstop, pretty much nonstop for almost f- for four years. Yeah, over sure, four man. years. Shit. Four and a half years almost. Mm-hmm. You know, man, all the stuff we've done, all the uh, live from Daryl's house and touring. And today we've been working on your record, studio stuff. Uh, every, seems like every 30 minutes I hear some cool story come out or, or something, or I'll mention some name. You're like, oh, yeah, I used to hang out with them. All right, I know. Yeah, I remember those. So it's like, man, I want to capture just, if I can capture a, just a percent of that today would be well, pretty amazing. So they asked me something, and I'll probably so many have something things, that's man. related. There, there's so many things, there. I don't even know where to start. So you know what? Let's start <clears throat> with, you've got this really cool photo of you and John, I don't know the other two people, and Frank Zappa. And it's you Eric, said that, Eric Burden. Eric Burden, okay. And John Mayall. John Mayall. Nope. I didn't recognize her so yeah, young. Yeah. But that... You've, no, not John Mayall. Yeah, is it? Yes, yeah, John Mayall. John Mayall and Mayall, Eric yeah. Burden, the animals and John Mayall blues breakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've got it in your in right in front of your uh, where you write songs and where you and you said it was an inspiration. You look at it all, every day. I especially look at Frank. Because Frank's got this cocky attitude. He's looking at the camera. I love his 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 look. It's great. And when I'm singing, I, it's no joke. I sing and I'm coming up with these things, and I look at him like he's judging it. Like, come on, motherfucker, like do something for me. You know. <laughs> now, am I? If I'm remembering correctly, you told me that Frank wanted to do a talk show with you and John, or a, a, something. He said you guys should have your own talk show. He said, was it at the Rainbow, the Roxy in L.A.? You, you know, that's, I think that's one of John's stories. I don't remember that. It, pro- it oh. happened, I'm sure. It's funny. What I remember, see, I, you know how memory is, but this, <clears throat> this particular picture that we're looking at, uh, I can't, okay, I can't remember where it was. I do remember that it was backstage somewhere. And uh, I remembered him um, right after this picture snapped. I, that was the first time I met Frank. And, the, and uh, he turned to me. And said, you know, that song, She's Gone, is really good. And I was like freaked out. Wow. Frank, Frank Zappa likes She's Gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that's what I remember about that picture. But uh, I I knew him. I met him, you know, after that. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's your inspiration. It's uh, I, I love just seeing how people create in their little environment. And mm-hmm. There's a studio, you know, and, and uh, whatever the muse you have, you know, to inspire things man I'm, I'm just rattling stuff off the top of my head but the other day we were working on your tune off your new record uh i want to know you for a long time which mm-hmm. is you're recutting yeah which is going to be a great version and you said you know i remember doing this original vocal and willie weeks played bass on it and donny hathaway was sitting next to me yeah. while i cut the vocal and i was yeah. like holy shit who who's yeah. ever gonna know that stuff yep yep that's uh, in those days we we did that at, at, and it was sort of the tail end of our tenure and we, I guess you'd call it at, at Atlantic Studios the old Atlantic Studios in New York and uh 
Everybody was just there. You, you wouldn't believe that people would just walk in and out of there every day when we were there. And we were one of them. We would just walk in and out whether we were working or not and say hello to Arif or Jerry Wexler or somebody, Ahmed or whatever. Uh, I remember, you know, one time I walked in there in the studio and Bob Dylan was sitting there with a with his uh, Hood. hoodie up. Even back then he oh, had yeah. the hoodie? And, and wouldn't talk to anybody. And, and there was some <laughs> session. And who was it? Uh, what's, uh, what, who was the, the red-haired, curly-haired bass player? Um, uh, it was, it was one, they, we were just talking about him. Oh, like Muscle Duck Sh- Dunn or one of yeah, those guys? Like that. And, and they were doing, and Wexler was there, and they were trying to do some kind of, they were trying to like jam out something. Actually, Dr. John was there, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, trying to jam out something, and, and Dylan just like quietly sitting there, just silent, you know. And they're trying to figure out on the spot, trying to write some song or some idea he had. And that's the kind of shit that used to go down there all the time. Aretha wow. would walk in and out. And uh, like I say, Dr. John, you know, I saw him a couple times in there. And um, who, knew, who knew who? You know, it was uh, Donnie Hathaway was in there. You know? Wow. It's just, that was the world. It was, it was a very interesting environment. Half and short, but love and lasts. I can't mix the future with the past. Can I stay close to you? I want to stay close to you. You've got to... <laughs> Remember you told me about the drummer Jim Gordon, who uh, is now in prison for oh, God. <laughs> hitting his mom in the head with an axe. But he was the drummer that played on you know many, many hits. And, and he he was the guy that played the piano on Layla and all this. But he played yeah. on a... On a um, yeah. Yeah. One of your records, one of Hall and Oates records, right? Yeah, I he was he was on the Silver album, and I remember one time, um, John nudged me, and I looked back by the drum kit back in the corner, and and Jim was back there with his face to the wall, like in like a dunce, like you know, like a guy in the yeah. corner having this animated, angry discussion with himself with wow. the, with the with the corner, and I was like, mm. and I didn't even know there's anything you know unusual about him. And that was, it wasn't that long after that that he went. He might have been talking and, himself into buying an axe. Mom, I hate you. Mom, I hate you. Mom, I hate you. <laughs> oh my God, it's like some son of Sam. It was it was weird, but anyway, I'm too bad for him. I'm sorry. Yeah, about well, you've had you know you and you and John have always had a reputation of like great musicians in your band and working with great musicians. I mean, like the caliber of musicianship is really high. Uh, what at what point? So you use session musicians in the seventies and stuff. But at what point did you and John or whatever, if it was a conscious decision, say, you know what, we're going to have like a band sound huh. like with T Bone and GE and those guys? I mean, was that the first? <laughs> you know, it was a weird thing, man. And a lot of this had to do with outside influences. I, I don't need to mention names, but I was very controlled by people that, uh, and when I say me, me and John both, uh, by people who thought they knew what was right for us but wasn't necessarily what was right for us and one of the things was we always wanted to have we always had a good band and we always wanted to record with our band because we wanted we weren't happy with our records they as as good as those musicians all were especially the ones after you know uh, uh, the the California era I'd say mm-hmm. which is which uh, was uh, from the Silver album to to the Voices album there was like four or five albums in there and uh, they, they were all session musicians great musicians but they were strangers musically to us they were from California we yeah. were a very regional band and uh, we had a fantastic band you you can watch any of those early performances oh, yeah. 
and they're awesome, man. They're like Todd Sharp, guitar player, yeah. and Stephen D's on bass. Those guys were amazing players. Uh, but for some reason, because they didn't have the the the, the name, uh, we were talked out of using our band and, and on the records. That and then on the lot, Voices yeah. album, we finally stood up and said, "Screw that!" You know, we are using our own band. I don't want to be produced by anybody else. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody telling me what to fucking do. And and uh, that's when it really came together. I got to tell you. And from the Voices album on is the way it was. Yeah, because it's a sound, man. It's really a sound. Yeah, all those totally all sound. those hits. being in the studio with you every day like we we do all the time now and you your ears are like you know you have studio chops and was that something obviously it was probably honed in early on the gamble and huff stuff right could you talk a little bit about that you were telling me that sometimes you would get the leftover like the shitty keyboard oh yeah i mean when i when i started with this band that i put together uh, i I won't say i put it together we put ourselves together this temp tones band they were basically a street corner band out of west philadelphia and uh and we did a talent show in the Uptown Theater uh, in North Philly, and we we won the talent show. And the the prize was you got to cut a single with uh, with Gamble and Huff. Oh wow! Who were only a couple years you know a couple years older than me. We were just I was like nineteen or whatever. And uh, and so the next thing I knew, I was in the studio with those guys, and I had a song, and they were the ones that did it. So I mean, that was they were the, the sort of the original core of what became the, the the rhythm section in the sigma sound philly sound of philadelphia thing and it was uh um it was um carl chambers on drums and roland chambers on guitar and um you know all those guys you know and, and it was and and then they they became you know the core of that thing that happened with the ojs and the delphonics mm-hmm. and the stylistics and you name it spinners and uh so I was I was exposed and and Leon Huff let's not forget about him and Tommy Bell who mm-hmm. I was quite friendly with with Tommy and watching those guys play the piano I mean I I saw excellence man I saw what they were doing and I related to it because I was it was regional I just understood it yeah. immediately, and uh, it had a lot to do with the left hand in, in, in uh, keyboard playing. But and you know it was really churchy, and you know and that kind of like the tune, like this tune we were just working on the yeah. studio from your record. Like, yeah, a, a lot of that. You know, the, uh, you know that that, that, that thing. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, it was Tommy was, Bell, man. <laughs> I heard all this stuff, man, growing up, and and but when I started learning this, the tunes, I would go, "Wow, it's really hip!" Like, you know, the the some of the chord changes are staying on a one chord, but it goes to minor. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, people don't really hear it. it's so hip. I mean, they don't know what it is; they just know it's it's cool. And like, it's this unusual. is on my list. Is 
Yeah. yeah. I do that all the time. Yeah, major minor. A lot of your songs. Ma- yeah, major it's a, minor is it's a, a very big classical deal. kind of theme. Well, yeah. It's that, it, like the end, that, the end of the verse in Maneater. Uh, it's like, a, a, was it? Uh, sorry. I'm screwing up because I'm so used to playing on guitar. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah, that, right. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is it the uh, the Picardy Third or whatever yeah, it's called? Yeah, it, the Tears de Picardie. Something. That's what it yeah. Is, yeah. Oh. I mean, that's the other thing. I went to I went to music school, so I know right. all that stuff. People was, don't realize you're like you're a trained, mm-hmm. schooled musician, man. You know mm-hmm. all the theory and everything. Yeah. You know. And John too. I mean, John comes from more of a folk. Well, he didn't, he didn't go to music school, but man, did he go through but he the, knows, the school of folk? Yeah, he knows theory and chords and stuff. Yeah, and can, I mean, you know. he 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 learned really. His, he has this, what he doesn't do with with me, because we we come together in that R and B thing, uh, it's the Philly R and B, because that's our sound. But John, in, initially, what interested me about John when we were kids is that he came from another tradition, even though he was from Philly, and you can't get away from that stuff. But uh, he he knew a lot about folk music and, and and things that I never even had a clue about, like bluegrass music or well, and and the blues. I mean, the, the blues is not about Philly. You know, Philly doesn't know. There's no blues tradition in Philadelphia, right. and uh, you know he was he was really schooled by this guy Jerry Ricks, who used to play with Mississippi John Hurt, and so. Mm. John was really connected to Mississippi John Hurt and Doc Watson as well, who he knew. Uh, I mean, these, these are the real guys, that's man. Direct to the source. I mean, source when, when right John there. learned it, he learned it from the source. Yeah. So that's why he does what he does, and I'm glad he does it on his own because he doesn't. He's never really. Maybe the early albums, he he let that out, but soon enough, we sort of. Went more. I hate to say, well, not hate to say, but I say it um, in my direction. And mm-hmm. and he's got a that that sound sort of took a back seat, and he has now started doing that on his own after all these years. And I'm glad that he's finally showing that to the world. One time I asked John about the your approach to songwriting back whenever. I mean, I'm sure it holds true even to, to today. But back when you were, it was so. MTV pop and all this stuff. You know the hits, quote hits. Were you, did you ever? sit down i mean i already know the answer to this but do you ever sit down and consciously say i'm going to write a hit or nope. you you basically there's no strategy involved right you just said no. i feel inspired i'm going to write a song no we were actually you and me, we were talking about this uh, yesterday you know i there is no such i do not have a formula okay i have so no, no idea what the hell i'm strategy. doing yeah. no no nothing i i i don't go past the moment uh do you ever play that game uh where somebody makes a mark on a on a piece of paper then hands it to you, and then you make another mark, and you make another mark, and, you, and something created, mm-hmm. and you, you start making like a cartoon character out of it, or something like that. You make a, a, a drawing, a complete mm-hmm. drawing. That's the way my mind works. It, it, it one thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing, leads to another thing, and uh, there is no conscious strategy whatsoever. But like when you wrote Sarah Smile, did you listen to a cassette of it or play it for somebody and go, I know this one is special. This one is, well, I, I know it was written for a it special was, person. It was special but, to me because of the emotion involved in it. Yeah. And But I, 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 I do remember the opposite of that. I remember the first time I heard it on the radio, on, 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 on pop radio. I heard it on R&B ra- uh, on radio. But the first time it, when it transferred from, from the uh, um, R&B yeah, from R&B radio to pop radio. I was, I was, I think I was in California, and 
And I heard it on the radio, and I said, this doesn't sound like anything. It was before it was a hit. This doesn't sound like anything else around it. How's this ever going to work on this, on, on this station, you know? And uh, obviously it did. But I, that was my take on it. It was, wow, is this like off the wall compared to everything else? I mean, look at the other songs that were hits in 19-whatever it was, 76 or I forget when, 75, 76. They, they didn't sound like Sarah Smile. No, no. No, man, that was, that's a special one. Yeah. Yeah. Baby hair With a woman's eyes I can feel you watching In the night All alone with me I Were waiting for the sunlight <laughs> Let's talk about Sacred Songs. That record, it sounds like it sounds like circa 1979 CBGB's New York punk, but with you singing like yeah, that that is such an amazing record. It kind of got shelved for a while, right? Like intentionally, it was, it was shelved. We did it in 1977, and it was shelved till '79, I believe. And uh, RCA didn't want to hear about it, you know. And then that, I would, that was that was the era of Rich Girl and all that stuff. They said, "What are you doing? You know, ride the horse in the direction it's going in." And so they they squashed it basically. And, and I have to add, Tommy Matola helped. To, he was the, the big squasher. But, uh, um, you know, Robert and I wouldn't let it go. Robert Fripp I'm talking about. Yeah. And we wouldn't let it go because we knew that this album was a great album. And it was unique because it was my, whatever my background is and what, and whatever his background is. And there's is, a which, lot of prog stuff. Like, people don't know. Well, You're, you like prog stuff. Well, I like yes, it. I've always been attracted to it. Yeah. But it's, again, not in my tradition. But I, especially in those days, I'm, I, was, I became very, yeah. you know, interested in it and robert really took me to that place because he's one of the main guys in the, on earth that has done that over his his career and to put us together or we put ourselves together really uh it came out this, it was a strange combination that worked oh, yeah. because it was this melodic my kind of chordal thing with his crazy ideas and well they're not crazy i'm sorry yeah. with his ideas particular ideas and and those the aural landscape the fripertronics yeah the fripertronics which he had just had sort of invented did he days. have all those univox tape machines with him he or had he... a tiac reel reel to reel and he would loop the the, the uh, loop the little tape around both things so it would just repeat itself and go through around and around and around and he would just record and then let it play and then he'd put another note on and let that play and just keep building wow. these these textures it was so simple it was nothing it's simple but back then it, well, was, it was, was a lot of machinery to do yeah, that yeah, that little yeah, effect that was, now you can get a boss delay oh, pedal to are do you that. kidding me you can, yeah. easily but there were, yeah. there were no such things you know I, there was no such thing as a polyphonic synthesizer I, I played on Sacred Songs uh, I was friends with Larry Fast who I was working with at the time who was working with, uh, with Moog on a polyphonic synthesizer and I, the one I used I believe was the second one ever made Wow! and then I got one and Larry got it, got me one because it was he was he basically helped to invent it, and uh, uh, so that album, the, the, all the keyboards that I played on that were, except for the the regular grand piano, were all in this Polymog, which was the wow, ri- original one. I think it was like 002 serial numbers. Man, I just love that record. I love the yeah. sound. I mean, you, when Ben Folds was on 
LFTH, we did, I don't know if you remember, Daryl, but that particular episode, another artist had something happened. They got canceled. Or oh, yeah. Something. Ben just jumped ben in. Ben jumped in. Man, we were, it was like a Friday night. I'm on the phone with him and I'm like, we got to pick some songs. Yeah. And, he, and I said, why don't you check out yep. Sacred Songs? And, and he comes back and he's like, I want to do this, Babs and Babs, yep. this, this. Yep. And that turned out to be like a kick ass episode. It was. And that was a Babs great episode. And Babs, I was listening to that, you know, writing all the charts and stuff, and I'm going, it sounds like it's an old English couple in bed, you know, arguing about stuff. And I, I asked you, what is this song? You said, no, it's about the left and right brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's the so, left and right hemisphere of your brain. So clever. <laughs> the how creative you, side versus the I mean, how the old were you side? when you wrote that? Like, I, you know, that's really... Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of. Really if you listen hip to the words closely, it. with that in mind, you understand what, mm-hmm. it, what it's sure. about. Sure. Yeah. How long did you take to record that? Like a few days, probably? Three, three weeks. Oh, three weeks. Whole thing. The whole thing, done. Start to finish, three weeks. And that's, that, that's fast for me, that's for yeah. sure. But we, then we, it was so seat of the pants, man. We just did it. What blew me away was, was uh, the, the, uh, the, the other rhythm section, other than Robert on it, or the rhythm section, other than Robert, was Caleb Quay, who uh, I basically had the Elton John band that used to work for us and Elton at the mm. time. And uh, so I had Caleb, uh, Roger, um, oh, what's the matter with me? I can't think of Roger's last name. But anyway, Caleb, Roger. No, and, Roger Pope. Roger Pope, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, Roger Pope on drums and Kenny Passarelli on, on bass. And uh, they're not prog rock guys, yeah. right? You know, they're two of them are just straight ahead English R&B guys. And Kenny is Kenny. He played with Joe Walsh and all those people. And... Uh, um, we we uh, present NYCNY to them, which you know how weird and complicated yeah. that song is. Yeah. I couldn't believe that they they were so on it. They picked it up and they played that thing. I don't. It was just a couple takes, and they figured it out. And it's it's a really complicated part. I mean, set of parts. So I, I was very you know I'm really respect that they pulled that off, man. Can we talk about a little bit of the LFDH uh, live from Daryl's house process? Like, you know, a lot of people constantly, well, how much rehearsal do you guys do? You do this, you do that. Oh, it looks like it's all been edited. And man, it's a bunch of bullshit. There's like hardly nothing. I mean, you know, I'll go in 
in the morning with the band day of shoot and run the tunes maybe once mostly yeah. just to check levels and daryl comes in and that's it like yeah, I, i've told people that and i don't know if they believe it but it's the truth you're just confirming it what we do is we we you and me pick the songs and with the artist and then and then um uh, uh, then, then um, we we hand it out to all the guys, and they do sort of do their mm -hmm. own homework and learn the chords. I'll send them some charts, but most of the guys just do their own thing. Yeah, Brian will read some of the charts, but yeah, yeah it's um, kind of learn it. And then and then we get together for the first time on the day of the shoot, and you guys, like you say, you go over it maybe once or something. Then I walk in and uh, get a sound or whatever. We don't usually even maybe we'll go over one or two things maybe. before, maybe not. And then the artist, excuse me. The artist arrives and we say, "Okay, that's it. Let's go for what it." What you see is and what you get. So it, it's it's so spontaneous, and that's why it's so damn good because we're all, I mean, pat on the back, you know, we're all damn good, and and we can pull that off. And uh, I have to say that the, I, I respect all the artists too because a lot of them walk in, they don't know what the hell oh, is no. going to happen. Even seasoned people, they're walking into an they're unknown. They're nervous. Man. Uh, you're you're walking into musicians you don't know plus they're standing next to you singing yeah. plus it's a sound they may not be used to and no it's a it's a definitely a foreign environment yeah. with different guys that they don't yeah, even know right and man so i really hand it to the guests and i think it because of the pressure that's on them they all just rise to the occasion because they're all consummate professionals even the young kids even the ones that are like 18 19 20 years old right they all pull it off man it's it's really an incredible thing you know, it's interesting. One night we had a conversation. You were telling me because you know Daryl's a, a big Jackie Gleason Honeymooners fan. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you you sort of drew a parallel to it. You're like, you know, I I want it to be like like Honeymooners, man, because they never did rehearsals, or if they did, like Jackie Gleason would hardly show up, and it was just completely live and spontaneous. And when I when I first, I mean, I've been a Jackie Gleason fan for years and years because I like oh, you know. I like comedy. But when I st first started LFDH back, whoa, you know, what was it 11 years ago, I immersed myself in early television because I, I realized that what I was doing was a pioneering thing, especially on the Internet. I mean, nobody had ever done a show like this. And the, the Internet allowed it to be as free as it was. Um, and one thing I learned after reading biographies and various things and, and, and learning about process is to get back to your thing is, is that Jackie Gleason used to let Art Carney and Aubrey Meadows and all, and all those people, they, they would run through it. And he didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't, he was never with them. He would just walk in and he had a, apparently a very good, uh, like almost a photographic memory and he would just go in there and just wing it. So what, what we all saw on television was, pretty spontaneous wow. and i said that's mm, okay that's what i'm going to do with lfdh and that's in front of a live on live tv like, yeah it, it takes balls live. to do that it's not like like kirby enthusiasm has done similar in a similar well, that's, way that's, but, a, but that's, that's like taped you know yeah it's and that's also that's ad-libbed that's yeah. another kind of thing but when you have a scripted situation and you know where it's, it is laid out and you just walk in and wing it that takes some cojones oh yeah you know? yeah didn't you say that Jackie Gleason? He was a he was a fan, right? Yeah, he wanted to come to one of the shows, but he didn't like to fly. He was afraid to fly. Uh, and uh, one time I was going to play in Miami, and he was going to come to the show, but something happened. I can't remember what, but he actually said he wanted to come to a show. Wow, yeah, there's a lot of little inside things like that that I hear about all the time. That I think people would like to hear about, like uh, 
fans of of live from Daryl's house, you know, really famous people like Bob Dylan actually wrote you a letter and said, "Yes, Daryl loved the show." Blah blah blah. Bob Dylan, and you, can I have copies of all the shows? Yeah. Right? Yeah, Bob. Bob uh, in the fairly early days of the show. Uh, yeah, Bob. He doesn't do email, so he wrote me a letter, and uh, and 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 asked if he could. Uh, yeah, and have have copies of all the shows because he loves the show and he wanted to watch it. Hey, well, I, thank you, thank you, Bob. That was great. Of course, I wrote him a letter back. I said, Bob, why don't you come on the show? He never answered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still say it, Bob. Come on the damn show. Yeah, I don't know You'd if Bob it. Dylan's listening to this, but you know, maybe. Yeah. Well, you never. Maybe know. somebody that knows him. You oh. never know. I mean, he'd be great because he's spontaneous too. He yeah. never knows what he's going to do. I know. I, know, I, I think could, you would. Be we great. can roll with that, no problem. <laughs> yep. We could roll with pretty much anybody. No yeah, problem. how true, how true. We were in Charleston working on your record, and you said, guess what I got for Christmas that's waiting for me in New York? <laughs> the cricket bat from Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah. And it's like Daryl has the actual cricket bat from I, his- I'm, I'm decided. Okay, the story is with this is I'm, I've become friends with Tony Hendra, who was a great comedian who's been around for a long time. He uh, used to do the national, the magazine National Lampoon, and... Uh, and then he did the Lemmings show before, that sort of morphed into Saturday Night Live and all that. But anyway, uh, he he uh, he was the he was uh, um, uh, Ian Faith, the tour manager. <laughs> Ian Faith. <laughs> Ian Faith, <laughs> the tour manager in um, in Spinal Tap, my favorite movie, or the best movie about music ever made, I ever. Agree. Okay. Totally. So any anybody that wants to know what our lives are about, just watch that. And. Anyway, one of the great scenes in the in the show is him is is him um, whacking TV with a, yeah. well various things with his cricket bat. mystic thing. So yeah. I saw him over Christmas this few day, a couple weeks ago, and uh, and and I gave him. I mean, I don't deserve this, but I, I you know I just gave him my normal Daryl's house package from the club, and you know with barbecue tongs and things like that which are you know we put a nice package together and next thing I know he, he reciprocates by giving me the bat from the movie <laughs> <laughs> and he writes it on it uh, what did he write best of luck uh, best of luck uh, Ian fucking faith Ian fucking faith I love that yeah but I have the I have the bat man I love the bat and um I'm thinking about carrying it around. On well, the you were sort of producing with the bat the other day, sitting on the couch I know. listening to I, I think to I was scared of people. Yeah. I, I think it comes naturally to me to hold that bat in my hand. <laughs> I think you need to put, hang it in the club but insure it for a lot of money. Yeah, you know? well. That's a piece of American Maybe, maybe if I just walk around history. with it. Yeah. <laughs> they'll have to steal it from me. Daryl, can you tell the uh, the Miles Davis story with a? There's, there's actually a photo that exists from yes, that moment. It's documented, man. And you know, I don't know what happened to the photo, but a, a fan gave it to me, and of course, it somehow I probably have it somewhere, but I don't know where. But uh, in fact, if any if any of my Japanese fans ever hear this, I would like to have another copy of that because this is it, it's so crazy that, that I would like to have it verified, but. Uh, so we were doing in 19, when was this? 1990, I guess. It was uh, uh, the 10th anniversary, unfortunately, of John Lennon. And we were in Tokyo. I d- actually, I did two shows. I did one in Liverpool and, uh, and that Yoko was putting together. And, uh, and also she put one together in Tokyo. So uh, there were various artists. It was quite an extravaganza, really. And, uh, but different artists on both, on, uh, in both places. And we, we did the one in Tokyo 
and uh, it was a I think I want to say it was two days. It was two days long. But I might be wrong about that, but I can't remember. But during one of the performances, I was sort of just standing by the side of the stage, watching everybody do what they do, you know. And uh, I see Miles Davis he's staring at me, and I'm like, okay, Miles Davis is staring at me. And the next thing I know, he's smiling, and I'm thinking Miles Davis is staring at me, and he's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> then I see Miles Davis staring at me, smiling, and beckoning me with his finger, going like, come here. Come here, come here, like this. I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? So I don't know. He was on the other side of the stage, so I couldn't really get to him. So I, I didn't see him that day. But as we were leaving after the festival was over, or the tribute thing was over, we were we were all staying in the same hotel, and uh, I went out to get in the car to go to the airport. And who walks out? But Miles walks out to also get in his car to go to the airport. And again, he. He's standing there, just staring at me, and I'm and, and smiling, and I and he, and he he goes, come here, come here, come here. So I I go, okay, what is he possibly? What does he want from me? So I walk over to Miles. I say, Miles, how you doing, man? I just I never met you. You're really cool, man. And blah blah blah. Whatever I said, and and he puts his arm around me, and he's he's really hesitates. You know, I'm going, oh, what the hell? He goes, when I go to my hairdresser, I tell him. My hairdresser to make me look like Daryl Hall. <laughs> and I fell on the damn ground. And he starts cackling away, and I started cackling away. And some girl walks up and snaps Snap the picture right in both moment. of our faces as we're cackling. And it, it's it's really funny, man. And it's the truth. I swear to God. Miles oh, Davis that's great. wanted to look like me. <laughs> that's a great story, man. Without, but you know, you didn't have the Jerry Curl thing going. No, nah, man, him. but I think he was trying to get. If you yeah. look at him from 1990, I think his hairdresser was trying to pile. You know, give, give yeah, him that he's... that conqueror that I had, man. <laughs> <laughs> you got to find that picture. Oh, it's funny. You know, a lot of my listeners. It's sort of a not totally guitar centric, but there are quite a few guitar players that listen to it. And uh, maybe we can talk about guitar. I mean, you said you saw Hendrix, right? Yeah. But you didn't really dig it. It was the well, sound was kind of weird. Dare I say that I walked out because he wasn't any good that mm. night. But that, that's that was sort of known that he had his depending on what was going on with him. You know, he had his good nights and bad nights. But yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't good. Yeah. But that was that was back in the electric factory back in Philly. What nineteen sixty nine or whatever it yeah. was. And, but what what inspired you to to pick up guitar? Like maybe did, who are some of your guys that sort of caught your ear that you're like, you know, it'd be cool to play guitar. I mean, well, I was always watching, even though I'm I'm basically a keyboard player. I was always watching the guitar players in, on those Philly sessions. Yeah, I really paid a lot of attention to it and listened to what they were doing. And what they always did was so simple. I mean, I'm not a good guitar player by any means. Well, you got a great feel though. You're, I, that's you, the whole you, thing. And you can I, convey I, I, your ideas. I'll stand so by I, I wouldn't my say feel. you're not a. You know, I'm a good. I'm a good rhythm player and I play like in that. that thing it's a certain kind of rhythmic style that I learned from yeah. Philly I mean it, it really just comes from there and the chord the kind of chords I use I know you know that there's some of them are kind of unusual mm-hmm. some of them are my own invention well I won't say my own invention but my own version of things mm-hmm. but a lot of them are those Philly chords uh, that uh it, 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 if you play them a certain way, it's not the normal way that a guitar right. player would play them, but it, it, it sounds like Philly. So, I mean, that's that's where I learned. It's 100%. I've never been a person who studied, you know, I can't play a lead for shit or any of that stuff. But, I, you know, I'd, I'm, I've always been very interested in rhythm rhythm guitar playing. Yeah. Me too. That's it's what I've... 
those kind of chords like what is that that's i'm butchering the beginning of i want to know you for a long time but was is that uh what is uh, i think i'm half step down so uh yeah no i don't know what it is yeah like that those yeah. chord progressions man, yeah where does that come from you know that's well, that's it's Billy, not completely it's, diatonic. It's like, yeah. That's One okay. more. I mean, it's. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, those those are really that's that's hip. Philly. It's just I I I just, I I just throw it all in the lap of Philadelphia, man. That's where it, it's where it all comes from for me. I, you know, I I explain that to people. Philly, I mean, you're a New Orleans guy. Philadelphia is as regional and distinct in its own way, with a long long term tradition as a place like New Orleans. And yeah, you play, of course. You, and it's yeah. just a certain kind of thing that people do there that they come from there. And I, it doesn't matter if you're Todd or me or. Tommy Bell, you know, we all have those certain things we do that other people don't do. Now, do you think it's? Do you think that's also because back then you had a lot of the regional mom and pop labels, and they would capture local well, artists and put stuff. It out? It has to do. It has to do with absolutely that, that that everything was regional in those days. You know, if you were people were just happy to be big in Philadelphia, you know, and their records never really went outside of it, but. You know, if you get even deeper than, than that, into more of like a thing like the history of, of New Orleans and everything, the history of Philadelphia, it's, the, it's, the, it's really the southernmost northern uh, uh, city mm -hmm. in the United States. And, and, that, and it's also one of the old, obviously one of the oldest cities in the United States. And the, the confluence of people and events and geography and migration of people, whether it be Germans or English or Irish or black people or, or whatever it is, it all comes together in this strange, different kind of melting pot than, that, that's distinct to that place. And uh, it's, it's very... I think the sound has a lot to do with keyboards, and, and, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the school systems and people, things like that. It was always a very, very strong music town, even in the schools, especially when when I was a kid. And I think it still is that way. But uh, it just it, it 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 creates a certain sound, like other regions do. But uh, it's 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 an old place in the United States, and it created an old traditional sound. Yeah, I mean it's a classic sound like Muscle Shoals and Memphis and yeah. there's Philly, there's you know there's Chicago, there's New Orleans. So I mean it's I mean, like it's like that. And and you take you ask a musician from any of those places and they're going to do something that's distinct to them mm -hmm. that that uh, that other people don't it doesn't come naturally to mm -hmm. uh, as much to other people. I think people are going to be really surprised, but they're, I mean, they're going to dig the shit out of your new record whenever that comes out. I mean, that's what we're working on now. And man, because it's a marriage of the Philly stuff and it's a very soulful record. I mean, all your yeah. stuff is soulful, but this is no, like I'm trying more, to get more to the essence of it's, it. It's got some meters, things in there, some yeah. little grooves. It's got some New Orleans. It's got some Russell well, Shoals kind of thing. You know, I, 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 again, I, I'm, 
I, I grew up in a, a county called Chester County in Pennsylvania, and I used to stand on the Mason-Dixon line, you know, wow. because it was, it was the southernmost county in the north. And, and it was on the Maryland, uh, you know, the, the Maryland-Pennsylvania border. So I have this south thing in me. It's it's a it's a funny thing. It being even being from there, there's a little bit of that south thing. And now I've been spending more and more time in the south anyway. So I think that it, it, it's inevitable that it's going to come out. And because uh, to me, this record has it's definitely shifted a little bit south. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, it, yeah. and 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 it's a it's a little more straight straight ahead churchy, churchy. You know, more gut bucket soul kind of thing. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. You did a version of Fame for Howard Stern that we cut. It's really funky. That, that was fun. That was fun. Just yeah, Howard. Slamming. Howard. Uh, that was it. Was great of him to ask me to do it. I, 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 I he he uh, he just wanted me to do a David Bowie song, and and I said uh, that somebody suggested something, and I said no 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 that's not the, that's not the right one at all, and then I said I no I want to do Fame that's the one because and, and he said oh I understand because you're one person that can relate to the lyrics of that song okay well I'm not the only one but I can relate to the lyrics mm-hmm. of that song, and uh, it's uh, plus it's it's funky oh yeah you know, it's it's got some funk going on oh yeah. So. Yeah, that was a great track. Yeah. And did you ever hang out with Bowie back yeah, in the day? Yeah, I knew David. I, um, I, we opened he his first tour, real tour in America, when he invented Ziggy Stardust. <clears throat> his opening show was in Memphis, and we opened for him. And so we played... We Yeah, we played in Memphis, opened for David. I, I don't know if we opened for him more than once, but we... We were there for that, and I, I, my memory and John would say the same. I was blown away. I thought that I thought he was. I thought it was one of the most revolutionary, cool things I'd ever seen, and uh, out there. So that was Ziggy and like Mick Ronson and all that. Oh yeah, stuff. Mick Ronson yeah. was in the band. Yeah, and it was it was man, it was good, and uh, and then I I used to know him. I, mean, I used to see him all the time. I'd, yeah. I'd bang into him. I used to go to this place called Columbus in New York City. And he used to go there a lot, and we used to sit around have drinks together, and and you know I saw him in London. I went to one of his birthday parties. Um, you know I knew him. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he would be proud of that version of that tune, man. I think he would have liked it for sure. Who knows? Maybe listening. So hey, <laughs> man, I want to talk about T Bone for sure. Okay. You know, T Bone was your guy, man. And I, you told me the story about how T Bone auditioned and. Uh, and you weren't even sure if he was going to get the gig, but then the other guy said, "Well, I should sing. I should sing oh, yeah. Sarah Smile yeah. or something." <laughs> we, 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 yeah, we were auditioning bass players, and and we must have tried out thirty people. Well, maybe not that many, twenty people. And this one guy who looked good, you know, and of course I was I was thinking in, yeah. that, in those terms too. I don't know why, but I was. And uh, and, and 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 it was and it. Uh, the, the finals were either him or this guy that walked in one day with his hat on backwards and uh, and he proceeded to play amazingly and, and he saw my my four string instrument he goes oh well, you, you're into that Arthur Godfrey stuff <laughs> 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 meaning a tenor guitar <laughs> yeah. and I, I looked at him like who is this guy what the hell is he talking about and uh then he turned around and he had a hat on, you know, with one of the straps in the back. And I, I, I went to John. I said, yeah, 
that motherfucker's bald, man. <laughs> because we were kids, man. Yeah, we right. said, oh, what, we don't, do yeah. we want a bald guy right, in the right. band? Ooh. You know, like, how fucking stupid is that? But anyway, uh, so it, it, it came down to him or T-Bone or this other guy who is, I don't remember his name. And I thought, okay, well, they, they seemed like they were sort of on the same level. And uh, then he said, I said, well, I, I said, we're really leaning towards you, whoever this guy was. And he goes, he says, okay, but I'll tell you, if you're going to hire me, the only way I'm going to work for you is if you let me sing Kiss on My List in the middle of the show. (laughs) Wow. And I went, that ain't going to happen. Audition fail. Call that guy T-Bone. Audition fail 101 right there. Thank God. Tell the artist you want to sing his song. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't didn't a bass player tell you one time in the car, you guys suck, I'm quitting, or you and John. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I forget his name. Oh, yeah, no. He he was the most contrary motherfucker I've ever seen. That's unbelievable. I forget who he is. He's still around. Some of the stories you and John talk about before we... I'll get back to T-Bone because that's a huge part of it, but... Some of the stories you and John talk about, like, uh, I don't know if you want to go into it, but the, uh, you were talking about Jerry Murata, how you want him to play a, a drum solo, and he read out of a book of poetry <laughs> to rebel against it. And- talk about contrary people. Jerry Murata, he knew how to rub your fur the wrong way. He, he's, he was, he's a character. I'm sure he remains a character. But uh, I haven't seen him in a long time. But, yeah, he... Well, it's likely somebody that knows him is listening to this. Oh, I yeah. guarantee you. So he'll probably and, and Jerry, you know, good luck to y'all, man. I, you know, but I don't think that it was quite. I don't think Hall and Oates was the right band for you. I know you played with Peter for a long time, but anyway. Uh, uh, in fact, he played at the club. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think no, Jerry yeah. played at the club. Uh, Peter not, not long tribute. ago. Yeah, with the tribute. But um, yeah. I don't know what it was. One of those things. I the band got out of control. That's the best way I could put it. You know, and G. E. Smith was in the band, and Jerry was in the band, and and let's just say that they were very strong-willed characters. And uh, um, we were. I, I can't remember why we were even doing it, but we were given the band little sections in the middle of the show to just sort of introduce themselves musically. And we were playing the Roxy, I believe, in, in L.A. on Sunset. And uh, so it came time for Jerry to do whatever little drum thing he was going to do. And instead, he pulled out Lady Chatterley's Lover <laughs> and started reading about somebody's pork sword and all this stuff. Like reading, like, you know, pages out of Lady Chatterley. That was his, that was his solo. Oh, that was his anti-solo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, there were other things that that you were talking about that he, he did and, and Brian, the drummer, Brian Dunn and I were like, well, you guys, you got fired after that, right? <laughs> no, no, I didn't get fired. <laughs> we were very tolerant people. <laughs> I, like, wow. I don't know why we were. <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah. Well, what about what about the, the bass player that cut up the hotel room? With the- oh, well, I don't know if I should tell All that right. story. I won't talk about I, 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 I mean, but I'm, no, I don't want to go All into right. that. Well, let's just say that you were banned at some point from hotels. We'll we were banned down. because <laughs> one of our bass players decided he was going to tear... Yeah, he, 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 he took uh, what, what he later said was spider venom. I have no idea what that meant. <laughs> That's enough said. Yeah. You don't even need yeah. any more. The next That's thing perfect. I knew was but, um, the hotel was confetti. But, you know, T-Bone, you know, I feel like I, I know him because I kind of, you know, man, it, I, I feel like I know the guy. And I was probably 
10 feet from him uh, not even we were in the same dressing room with neville brothers we played a thing together in demian ball like yeah a long we time ago. It, that was a long time we were the kings of mardi gras yeah that was and, and like, we played the endemian endemian ball it was like 1989 or something like that. well okay well that was before my time but you oh no did, we did another you thing did another that's one. right we did another one later and, and i was there and right, i remember, right, right. Talking I remember to that. john very briefly and we were all we had like a, a sort of common dressing room area yeah at some yeah point, i remember like that. a green yeah. room right and I remember standing on the side of the stage watching, I think it was No Can Do, and I was like, man, this shit is, wow, it's so funky. Mm-hmm. And hit after hit, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that song. Oh, wow, yeah, man. And T-Bone was just grooving like crazy. And, you know, I didn't talk to him. That was my only time I was around him, unfortunately. Of course, many, many friends and acquaintances that have worked with him. So um, He was a great guy, man. He was. He, I can't say enough good things about him. He's my... Yeah. I guess my closest friend, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at one at what point did like it click and you go, man, this guy's got like this is my. We just worked. I don't know, man. It like was musically, I mean, like was it one day where it just fell in it, with that band? I can't remember. I I think one. I think one of the things that happened was in nineteen. What was this? Eighty five, I guess. He he had been in the band about five years, four or five years, and. uh we had just gone through all that live aid stuff and all that, and 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 I basically took a break and I made this album, Three Hearts, Three Hearts and a Happy Ending Machine, and I did it with Dave Stewart, yeah. and uh, we spent a lot of time in Europe doing it. We we were in Paris for quite a while, and and we were in in London even longer. My God, we were in London. Well, I, I was in London anyway, but uh, and and I really got to know T Bone because when you're, you know, I, I mean, he and I share food we love we're food lovers and cooks and all that and you know we were we were set loose in paris and that was a really good bonding experience and i think that the the personal bonding oh and then of course he was the co-producer on the record Mm -hmm. uh with me and dave and uh i think those that is what pulled us and 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 made a change we we just really came together and Mm -hmm. became really close friends and 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 then and uh, that was the beginning of it. And then we did this acoustic tour in 90, uh, 91, 90 and 91. And we traveled all over the world with it. And that's when T-Bone started playing uh, acoustic guitar on stage with me and John. And uh, I was sitting in the middle and John was on my left and, and T-Bone was on my right. And we really started developing a, a, a way of playing together. And then that it went from there. T, one thing about T-Bone, and you know what I'm talking about on this, he really, I mean, I said before, I have a certain style and it's not that, you know, I, I do what I do. But he could weave around me and, and just enhance it and make it right, you know. The t- two of us playing together, it was just one of those things. And I had never played with anybody before that really knew how to do that. Mm-hmm. There was always people just playing their parts and not really listening so much to other people, which is not the right thing to do, as you know. Right. And uh, I found, I, after working with him, I went, holy shit, you know, we, we're really clicking musically. Yeah. And then after that, it just stayed and, and yeah. got more and more and more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a sort of obvious question, but you have any favorite LFDH episodes? I mean, of all, like, 84, whatever it is at this point? You know, that is a question that that not only you have asked, I I don't have an answer for that because I've had so many interesting things happen on the show. 
And so many shows that I say, oh man, this was the best one, or that was the best one. I mean, I and all for different reasons. I mean, the the Smokey Robinson one was the first one when I went, holy shit, Smokey Robinson's sitting in my living room on your show. Yeah, yeah and and we're singing "Ooh Baby Baby" together. You know, it's like I went, wow, okay, and 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 then it went from there. I mean, and sometimes just the really like people I never even heard of hardly. You know, some kid or kids that are just starting out and, and they come and I'm, I'm so blown away by their, by their enthusiasm and by their um, rising to the occasion, like what we yeah. said before. Oh, yeah. I like, shit, man, this is good. You know, so it, it, I, I can't even I say. I know, it's, people ask me the question. It's really hard to say, only, you know, I learn just, something from every show. Yeah, I'll tell you some fun ones, that crazy ones was like the Cheap Trick one where oh, I love that, that was one. the first one where Daryl said, you know what? We got to set up in a circle. So yeah. Let's just clear the whole club. And it was a great idea because ever since then we've done. Oh yeah, the, the, it, it took the show to a, a higher but place. But holy shit, was that loud, man! Oh man, it was because you're like, well, you're using a Marshall. Well, I should have my Marshall too. Yeah. And then of course Rick Nielsen has a Marshall. <laughs> Even Tom, the bass player, had a Marshall. Oh yeah. Oh, he yeah. had two amps, the bass. <laughs> and Rick would say, um, "I can't hear the drummer." So. Uh, you need to turn him up. There's no turn down. Everything is turned up. Oh yeah, no, that's no. how you solve that problem. Oh yeah, more volume. More volume. But it was it, it was like a wall of sound. But it, it actually sounds great. It um, worked. And Pete Moshe, who's the the guy, the unknown person to a lot of people who engineers these things and mixes them, is it, it he is incredible because he could make this stuff happen and make it sound like what you hear on the TV yeah. or you know on the on the show. And man, I mean that's that isn't always easy to you know, do. People think it's it's just you know show up and, and hit it, man. It's uh, no the, show up and hit it is what we do, but then there's all this other stuff yeah, that happens wanna, to make it sound right. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's do it. All right. Ready? This will be the final number. Final number. <laughs> one of the good things about the show is we get to go through your catalog and get the deep cuts and that's what you always prefer i always do, ask, everybody wants to sing rich i know no no I, I i always ask the artists go deep go deep go deep because i have a a, a a reason for it too not only do i not want to just play the same songs to everybody which is you know, once the you know how many times can you play rich girl in different ways to with different artists but uh i I'm really proud. I mean, I, I I am not. I don't consider myself an artist that that revolved around singles. Even though I became famous for it, that wasn't my intention whatsoever. I don't, I'm not really into the pop world at all. Never was. And the fact that my records were pop hits were incidental to me artistically. And I have so many songs that I'm proud of that people didn't even know that I care as much about as I care about yeah. man eater or something like yeah. that. So that's one of the things on the show is I want to, I want to, 
I, I feel like every time I play one of those kind of songs on the show, it's almost like having a hit record because so many people become suddenly aware yeah. of that song well, that they making, never never even heard before. And you're making a mini EP sort of each. each yeah, episode. each show is like an album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but know? I love like you know Gavin DeGraw that um, Go Solo. Those yeah. chord changes, man. Yeah. That's such a hips and um, with Grace, your imagination. Yeah. The bridge I had forgotten that about that song. The bridge to that song is like, wow, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's one of those songs we should do. I, I would, we always say that we should do it on well, the show. Well, do it where? Oh, on, on I mean, Hell- we should do it on stage. Well, that's the problem. People don't realize, you know, how you have the sort of the curse of having so many yeah. hits. It's not a curse, but. Well, it is sort. It's not. A, yeah, you're you right. It's not a curse, but it's a problem. It's a good problem. problem. The best kind of problem on earth to have. But we do not have enough time to play, even really uh, uh, even the majority of our hits, because you, you, what are you not going to play? You're not going to play. You make my dreams. You're right, out of touch, man. Either you, you got to play them. Kiss, private eyes. And I I still like playing them, but you know, there's a lot of songs, even ones that were hits. I mean, Imagination was a was a. Uh, I've, at least a top ten hit. I don't remember. Might even have been higher than that. But uh, you know, it's just they. It gets buried. Maybe on the solo shows. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Whenever they happen. No, well, they're gonna happen. Well, Daryl, I uh, man, I thank you so much for. Uh, even though we sit together all the time, this is different. So. Well, yeah, it's a little more formalized version of what we do. A little more formal. <laughs> a little more PG rated. Yeah. But, but it's it's uh, people like to hear all. Yeah, this is what we do before a show. I, I'm yeah. usually Brian Dunn says, "Tell us a story, Daryl." Yeah, tell us a story. <laughs> like the the time, real quick. The, I, I got to mention this, but we finished the Brett Denon taping. You remember, I went to your house after we finished. Brett left. Yeah. Like Brett Denon was on the show, and he's you know he's he. We went to your oh that was your old house. We were there. We had dinner, and then he left. And then I hung out with you and Jonathan. The, Daryl's manager. Yeah, we yeah. have it a few drinks, and then some kind of way I mentioned Van Halen. Oh, I sent you a picture of you and Eddie. Oh, Van right, Halen. right, right, right. And you were like, "Oh yeah, I remember, I remember this." And Daryl's got an amazing memory. He remembers all that. I remember the date, the place, everything. So yeah, I remember this. Eddie used to come backstage all the time, and and this particular night he was saying, "Man, we hate fucking Dave Roth, and we're gonna fire him." <laughs> and we were wondering if you know, you, I know you're busy and stuff, but you know. Like, what is this? Nineteen eighty-six. It's like somewhere oh, around that huge. that time. Yeah. It's like, um, would you consider like singing with us? Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. And John goes, wait, Daryl, wait. So they asked you to join Van Halen. Goes, well, I guess so, kind of. You know, I'm like, wow, Th- man. That's things would have t- taken a different turn had I it been, so. become the new David Lee Roth. No. But, but I love hearing you sing heavy stuff. That's that's what people don't. Sometimes when you play like bluesy rock stuff. Oh, I like doing it, man. man I would love to. It, it's it's it's, it's definitely a, a language that I feel like I can speak. And and um, I mean, I I like doing that show with, down in Mexico with Sammy Hagar. Yeah. That was yeah. fun, man. Yeah. That, that, that was fun. and cheap trick. You know that allows me to do that stuff. You know. Yeah, belt it out. Yeah. Well, all right. So, thanks again, Daryl. My and, pleasure. Um, <clears throat> send all your uh, fan mail to uh, no yeah. PO box blah blah send your fan mail to nobody yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright see ya alright if you're still here thanks I'm sure you enjoyed it that was a fun interview thanks Daryl for letting me sit with you for a minute here and uh, actually it was more like an hour and 15 minutes 
I am doing more of these episodes, and uh, they do take a while. But I, as always, I love your comments and emails, and especially iTunes ratings and spread the love. Thanks again for listening and tuning in. See you next time.